Pushing Faders in association with SVG Europe Audio. Faders, the broadcast sound podcast. I'm Chris Eckford, and uh, before we get started on this week's episode, I'd just like to say a massive thanks to everyone who's been tuning in again. We've now hit over 2,000 listens for um, for the entirety of the show, so yeah, thank you very much. And if you are listening and you are enjoying it, please do pop on whatever podcast platform you are listening on and just give us a rating if you can, or even a quick, quick uh, review, which would be nice. In fact, you could do it now. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to do it. Yeah, 10 seconds of dead air is not a good thing, is it? So we'll, we'll not do that. But yeah, if you do, if you do get a chance to uh, go on and give us a rating um, or you know write a quick review about the podcast, that would be fantastic. Now joining me for this week's episode is NEP UK's Neville Hooper. Now I'm pretty sure if you have worked uh, with NEP in the UK for the last, you know, you know, in the last 15, 20 years, then you'll have worked with Nev. So I won't go into an introduction for him. Um, but this episode was recorded back at the beginning of December in a hotel room in Eastleigh when I ventured further south than I have done for a long time. Um, so yeah, let's get on with it and uh, welcome Nev to the podcast. We're in a hotel room because I've had to come all the way down south uh, because you refused to talk to me in, uh, on, well, on I'm Zoom. you've made the effort so, I've, so far. So I've had to come all the way down south uh, so we can have a chat. So thank you for that. Uh, you're welcome. I'll just start with everybody just to have a chat about how you got into working in TV and how you got to where you are now. So uh, one of those, um, like a lot of people, our generation, I guess, where I've um, played around in bands when I was younger. So um, got my first drum kit when I was 16, played in bands, did my A-levels and then decided I didn't really want to go to uni at that point. So I took three years, played around in bands, played all over London, all over the mostly all over England, in fact, and um, a little bit into France. And then the kind of novelty was starting to wear off because I thought, you know, what's the future for this? So I finally decided that I should go to uni, was trying to do a studio recording course, um, got let down at the last minute from Thames Valley and ended up on the Solent Media Tech course. I was there at the beginning, but ended up being on the second output because I didn't have maths or physics A-level, so I did an engineering foundation. So I did four years at uni. Um, and it opened my eyes to the world of kind of broadcast and actually maybe this is something that I could use my skills and there's going to be more opportunities than trying to work in a recording studio because mm. we kind of know how that's yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that was what I did. Um, made contact. My mother's cousin worked for Kendall Avenue, BBC OBs, and in between my second and third years, he said, oh, well, you know, have you considered OBs? Why don't you come and see a few and see if you like it? So I shouted on a few OBs and, yeah, pretty much that was it. I was hooked. So I did my dissertation about OBs and OB facilities. And then um, some jobs came up as I was coming towards the end of my course. So I, I wrote off and applied and I'd already had a meeting at a company called Global. Um, I'd already had a visit and, and seen around their trucks and what they had. And um, so um, I applied and got interviewed and got interviewed by um, Nigel Spong, who um, ran the company, who said, we're interviewing you to find out if we're going to give you the sound engineer job or the... Um, trainees job um but either way we're going to give you a job so mm. i was like blimey <laughs> that, that was that so it turns out i got the trainee job and the um, sound engineer job went to alan hoskins all right <laughs> so he and i started on the same day at global right um and then alan um with his family situation moved back up north mm. i stayed in 2000 we got bought out um, effectively by the parent company of Visions. So mm. we got merged into Visions in 2000. So I kind of got into Visions through the back door. Mm. Um, and then that was that. And then I've just been there ever since. So 25 years this year, I've been in the industry. So, um, yeah. Um, and I've done a whole host of things in that time. So, um, yeah. So what was it like being Al's understudy at that point? <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, yeah, we um, didn't click straight away, but no. <laughs> Um, I've got so much time for Al. It, yeah, yeah. It, it was good, and you know we work well together. So there'll be people listening thinking, "Who's, who's Al?" Al yeah. yeah, but yeah. So who is, you know, who you is know. Al Oskins? Yes. So, but no, um, we've worked 
together on and off ever since yeah. on various things, um, you know, and it's always good. And we know it's a small industry. Yeah, yeah. But also I was very lucky in that um, I worked with uh, Mr. Ian Rosam fairly early on. Yeah. One of the first jobs I guaranteed he was a supervisor on. Uh, and I was still kind of um, learning the ropes at that point. But, um, yeah, he um, didn't send me packing straight away, <laughs> thankfully. And, um, yeah, well, we've been working together right up until he retired. Yeah. So, um, but, um, yeah, I've been very lucky with, I've worked with all kinds of people. And I guess my one bit of advice to anyone in this industry is listen to everyone, listen to what everyone's got to say. Even if it's for you to decide, oh, I'm not going to do it like that. Mm. You know, everyone has something valid to say and everyone has their own opinions and make up your own mind as to what you think is good and bad i think that's a, like there's a, such a wealth of experience working in tv anyway you could, one day you could be working with somebody who's been doing it like 10 years and then work with somebody who's been doing it 50 years or 40 years you know it's it's mad into how yeah cause it's like a cause it's, it's cause it's a job for life as well so you end up in totally. that situation where you've got like i say ian who's only retired like forty three years ago or something yeah still going out and, and doing it until he's, you know, been there for 40 something years, he's working in TV. Yeah, well, I, I was very lucky to work with a lot of very experienced people. I mean, um, the time I came in, because Global came from those ex-ITV OB companies, so Thames, Anglia um, and Yorkshire, I worked with a lot of their people, like Ron Ferris, who was the head of sound at Thames, um, who then went into, um, he was freelancing, but he also went into um, integration with Sony, so worked building trucks. So he had a huge amount of experience and you know, so many people that there was so much to learn from. So, um, you know, all kind of phases of their career. You know, I've seen people come up, um, you know, well, like yourself, mm. uh, you know, come in and kind of develop and, and move on. And it's always nice to see new people coming in, in the industry and, you know, to work with them and, you know, adopt new ideas because everyone bounces off each other yeah, yeah. and you know we like i say we can all learn from each other um good and bad so um yeah building that and you know yeah, yeah. working forward together and working with new people all the time it's good so what what is your role now as deputy head of sound at nep so um uh, it, it's a, a split role i oversee the running of the sound department but i'm still out delivering ob's you know earning my keep and i think that's important to keep your hand in it it's very easy to get um to very quickly get kind of removed from operations and mm. what happens in the day-to-day. -day. So, um, yeah, and also um, the way that the crewing tends to happen now is you work across a huge variety of things. So I don't just do all the biggest matches because of my position. I do everything from EFL, match choice, you know, remote, mm. um, near live, live, and just get that whole variety. Um, and, and I think that's important. One, so that you understand what everyone in your team is doing and what you're asking them to do. Because I'm, I'm very keen that um, I wouldn't ask anyone in my team to do something I wouldn't do myself. So hence, you need to do the whole array of jobs to make sure that there's nothing unreasonable in what you're asking people to do. Yeah. But also, you can get the opportunity, um, particularly some of our jobs now where we might have two guarantees, you can bring the more junior guarantees in with you. Uh, and see how they're developing and give mm. them some advice and input and you know give them the opportunity to um, do things without having ultimate responsibility so yeah. yeah there's there's a lot of opportunities i'm very passionate about um, bringing people through and helping yeah. people develop so um, yeah, it's something that i've done as long as i've been able to mm. uh, and i hope to continue to do so but i do think it's funny i was working with an old colleague tom nash who when i was at visions he was still a staff at visions he works at discovery now but uh, I was chatting to him a couple of summers ago and he said, you know, when we started and there was all those old blokes and, I'm like, oh, what they and he went, that's us now. And I'm like, oh God, yeah. So I've gone from being the young upstart to less so. so. I, I still feel like there's people that were old when I first started working in TV, but they're still working in well, TV. It's, yeah, it's a, a lot of them still are, to be fair. Yeah. So, um, you know, and for a long time, there was this thing of it, it was the same characters. Um there's so much work now that more people have had to come in to mm. fill all those roles. And, you know, so you're getting the, the bigger variety of people out there. So I guess I guess you've still got the passion for being working on the road as well, rather than yeah. being an office job. Because Yes. Yeah, too much in the office, I think. You know, I joined this industry because I knew, you know, originally I, I was, you know, keen to work in rock and roll. Obviously, it didn't quite happen, but this was the next best thing because you're not going to the same place every time. Um, you know, and as we all know, even going back to do two o two successive OBs at say Man United, both of them will be different for whatever reason yeah. because you're you're building it from scratch every time. So yeah, and that's what keeps it interesting. So even if you go back to the same place, there'll always be different challenges. 
So. What do you think? What do you think has changed in the this 20, 25 years? Yeah, in, in, the, in the industry. Well, now? I mean, the most obvious one is when I started, everything was analog. Yeah. everything was on copper. You know, fiber. There was nothing, and it, it makes me smile. When I was at uni, there was a, a module on computer networks, and I thought, I don't need to know this. Why am I ever <laughs> going to need to know this? And now I kick myself because absolutely, you need it's to. Pretty know much that. the whole job. Yeah, the whole job. To. Now you're pretty much a network engineer. Yeah. So, um, you know. Uh, and that is it. And that is the massive change. You know, yeah. everything was analog. And, and it was interesting having listened to your podcast with Anthony and um, sorry, it wasn't Anthony. Henry. Yes. Having listened to your podcast with Henry talking about Calrec, um, I've insulted both of them there. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, hearing some of the things he was talking about, that's the equipment I used to work with yeah. and having started off on analog. But the, the one thing that I would say to anyone in my team is you need to still understand analog principles you can be the best network engineer but a microphone is still analog so i think the problem solving is still very analog absolutely and paul always used to say it's about making the wire work and mm. it's just that wire is a cat5 now not an yeah. xlr so yeah. you know that's the difference but same principles apply so, it, um, it feels like even in the 13 14 years i've been i've been doing this that that has become the you know the one the one bit of cable to rule them all now rather than you know yeah still putting you know multis into everywhere and yeah you know, the odd you know you might have a couple of hydroboxes on the job or yeah and as technology you know everyone rightfully so when it first came in people were uncertain about it um the same with dante when that first came in you know everyone was uncertain is this going to be a thing and now you know the more we can do on dante the better because it just makes your life easier because yeah. it is that single connection but you know you learn from having worked with it how to build your resilience in and how to make it robust and as robust as an analog microphone, mm. you know. So, uh, and, and the key is in building your resilience into your networks. So, and, and in the last sort of ten years, we've had obviously a shift from five one to Atmos, and obviously a lot of remote productions come in. What as a facilities company, are the challenges for trying to keep up with the pace of all these changes and making sure you provide, for instance, Sky or whoever, whoever mm. you're working for, with with the solution that they're wanting. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of um, increasingly the way the OB market is going is investment happens on the back of contracts. So when you win contracts, that's when you make your investment and that can then be rolled out to other things. So absolutely, the, the contract specification and the, um, the RFP that comes out from Sky, which is the document they issue where they tell you what facilities they would like you to provide uh, and your solutions to those, you know, that will kind of drive your decision making as to mm -hmm. how best to deliver the technology. So um, if we go back thinking about truck design uh, and how it's changed. So we, the first, we all know what OB trucks were for a long time, you know, dark boxes, dark carpet on the walls. Um, we started to build ones with bigger and bigger production spaces. Once you can have double expanding trucks mm. to make the production area bigger. And the initial focus was making the production area as big as it could be. And everyone else just had to cram in. But then when we built Gemini in, in 2010, Part of that came about from Sky asking us to reduce our footprint. So in those days, we used to have a match truck and a prez truck and a VT truck mm. to deliver a football match. So that was three trucks. Um, and it was around the time that 3D was coming out. So they were looking to make space in the compound for a 3D truck. So our proposal was Gemini, which was two trailers with three trailers worth of kit, effectively. Yeah. So one trailer had two sound rooms, match and prez, two production galleries, match and prez, obviously. And then in the other trailer was the EVS replay area and racks. Mm. So that, that was the first attempt. Very sadly, that truck we lost in the fire. But that was the first time we'd used the Cosby chassis that was the full, um, full length expand on mm. one side with an expander on the other as well. So, um, so the next iteration of that was Atlantic that we built in, um, came on the road um, in 2012, I believe, when we won the um, EFL contract. Um, and that was everything in one truck. Mm. So it was the same chassis, but um, with just one sound area, one production area, uh, and then a, a replay area and a racks area. We mm. managed to fit that into that footprint. So, But we'd had conversations when we built Gemini. So originally in an OB truck, there was a limited amount of space to put all your equipment in. So, um, But of course, with the advent of digital desks, you're needing less and less outboard equipment and less and less... Um, you know, processors, dynamics, etc. It's all mm. built into the desk. So when we built Gemini, we kind of had the conversation about actually all the sound desk, sorry, all the sound supervisor needs in front of him is his sound desk, picture monitoring, loudspeaker monitoring, a few select bits of equipment, but that's about it. Yeah. 
because the rest of it can just go in the racks area. And that's fine. So that's what we did. And then Atlantic was the next iteration of that. The difference with Atlantic, because a lot of the feedback about Gemini was, it was very dark because it had no windows. So we put windows in and everyone's like, oh, windows in a truck, are you sure? <laughs> but actually working in those spaces, it's nice because of course there's blinds, you can make it dark if you want. Yeah. But, um, you know, picture monitors have improved greatly. So the brightness now of LCD panels, so it's less of an issue if yeah, the room's yeah. not dark. So actually let's have a nice, pleasant working environment. Yeah. If you're doing a long job, say like Wimbledon, you want somewhere, uh, you know, to make the most of the summer almost. Yeah. You know, you want a nice, nice light, bright environment because that's better for your mental health than being locked in a dark box for what can be long days. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that was kind of the the process. And then, obviously, um, after the fire, when we lost Gemini, um, we then rebuilt. Um, at that point, um, Sky hadn't expressed an interest in, in Dolby Atmos, but we kind of thought it was coming. So when we built those trucks, um, we thought, well, let's put in the speakers at least, because yeah. it, it's easy to do when you're building the truck. It's harder to retrofit. So um, that was what we did, and you know, eventually it came. So it's about understanding the trends. Uh, when Sky went from stereo to five one, we were involved in that journey as well. Um, you know, and it's my one and only visit to Hebden Bridge. In fact, yeah, this is when we went up for a meeting with Sky and, and Carrick to talk about things like spill faders and how this was the alpha at that point, yeah. how it was going to work and how we were going to implement five point one. So. That was so we'd built that truck with 5.1 in mind, and that was HD3, which winding back, that was obviously pre Gemini. Mm. That was a double expander, a bit more traditional sound, but it had an alpha, but it had a, a bigger sound area than we'd had in the past because yeah. we made a slightly smaller production area because it was designed to be a match truck, so less production people yeah. in there. And it was when we started to turn a corner and have a slightly bigger sound area, but um, yeah, moving on now into the trucks we built post fire, um, and the last few that we've built as well finally have a um uh, glass doors all the equipment's behind glass doors and so mm. now you have a quiet sound room yeah and it just makes such a difference yeah and that was the final step so i now feel our two most recent trucks or two of our most recent trucks are kind of you know um, the best trucks that we've built yeah. so it's a nice quiet sound area you know fully capable with a decent sound desk and everything we like it's important. One thing that we realized and working with a lot of clients, they like the eye lines through the truck. Yeah. So, you know, where we'd gone away from that in the past, we kind of went back to having that linear, uh, yeah. being able to look from sound into production and look from production into VT so you yeah. can see what's going on. And that makes a big difference. Yeah, is it Sargasso so, that seems backward to that? Though, yeah, Sargasso, it's... but that, that was <laughs> part of the reason for that was um, to give the flexibility to have a bigger VT area yeah. on the bigger games. Yeah. So that was kind of purposefully done that yeah, way. Yeah. But the trucks that were designed to be the presentation trucks got the eye lines. Um, got the eye lines. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, and that, that works a lot. But, yeah, it, 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 sometimes it's a conversation, um, and particularly with Gemini, there are a lot of conversations about, you know, things that we were going to have, mm. um, you know, and, and we've learned from that and built from that, and then we try and factor that in, and in that same spirit of listening to everyone and listening to what people... Um, you know, want from their trucks um, and how they would like their facilities to be, you know, we, we've built on that. So, mm. yeah, absolutely. I, I think I only ever saw uh, Gemini once. Yeah. Which was at Arsenal, I think. But it was. Possibly. It was. It was on my one of my worst days in TV. Right. So, it, yes, it definitely was at Arsenal. So, but, um, one of the things from my job, I mean, Paul at that time obviously was head of sound and, um, you know, all our trucks were built in-house, so they were designed, the equipment, the schedules and everything were done, and they were integrated either um, at Sony or integrated in-house mm. um, than ourselves. So, you know, we all, Paul was very much in charge of it, but we all had our input and yeah. had our opinions. And, you know, he would listen to what we wanted to say and we'd make suggestions about, we like this, but, you know, for the next truck, maybe we could have this. And, you know, so the design evolved over time with our input, yeah. you know, w which was good. But, yeah, Gemini, I mean... My worst day, but my worst day in TV wasn't working with Gemini. Uh, I, was, yeah. I was on, I was doing an add-on, and I was on right. site with Gemini just before. Yeah. I just get just to clear clarify. Out. Yeah, but you know, but I remember like you chucking know. you under the bus. Yeah, but. No, no, that, that's fine. Um, I, you know, I remember I would always end up because I did the Sky Football when a new truck came along. Invariably, they came along to do the Sky Football, so I would do the first job, and it was, you know, we were still learning technology. Yeah. And I remember the first day, and. Um, 
you know, there were a couple of add-ons and I was like trying to sort out their feeds via the router and still getting yeah. familiar with the router. And, you know, um, I'm sure um, Gadget would tell you the story of him um, um, eventually gave up coming back asking for clean effects because, you know, um, you know, we were still learning about um, embedding routers at those right. in those days. So, um, I mean, it was a massive step forward. And, mm. you know, when did, you go, when things, did Gemini go on the road? 2010. 2010. So um, the end of its first season, um, obviously, was the Champions League final mm. um, at Wembley. We were the host broadcaster in 2011. So, um, yeah, and by then, we pretty much got the hang of it. Yeah. So, um, so it was on the road for six, five years, six years? Yeah, about that, yeah. So, um, and it had a refit in that time, mm. um, in, uh, internal cosmetic. We didn't change too much of the technology, but, um, um, yeah, uh, you know, lighter carpet went in and things. Mm. And, and initially, the rear speakers, our first go at rear speakers, they were suspended from the ceiling on this trackway, and it was all a bit convoluted. Mm. And um, when we built Atlantic, when they were accepting it, um, it was in Sony at Basingstoke, and they had the rear speakers just on speaker stands on the floor. And... Uh, there was a conversation about how we're going to mount the rear speakers in this one then. And someone went, well, hold on a minute. Just put it on the floor. Just put it on the floor. Yeah. Just put a thread in the floor. And ever since that's what we've done. Yeah. So, um, and it, it works well. Yeah. And it means, you know, particularly with the width of the truck, you can get them in a sensible position. So the supervisor, you know, has his own kind of image. Yeah. So the speakers are surrounding him and are in a good position. So, yeah. Cause um, if you sort of mounted above you, then with the Atmos stuff, it's, you know, that's coming from above anyway. So, you know, you get a lot of trucks where the five one rears are roof mounted. Yeah. It's... Well, that was what we were trying to avoid. Mm. So, um, because, you know, we tried that and it was never that satisfactory. And of course, the challenge when you're building a truck is the fact that it has to um, uh, close up at the end of the day to travel on the road. So it's where does everything go when it closes up? Yeah. So um, that's the challenge. And we decided that the poles in the floor is actually the simplest, easiest solution. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and it's served as well. Yeah. So. It's, it's, yeah it's and, and, and then, obviously, if you're just doing a stereo show, you don't need to read yeah. them. So, you know, um, they're not in the way. So a good old yeah. stereo show. That's what we've been doing today. Well, indeed. Yeah. I know. Like, so, like, um, like TV oh, used to be. Well, it's, it's quite refreshing, you know. So, I mean, I was everything's been stereo since I started, to be fair. I, yeah. I never worked in mono, so I never had that transition. But, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. And, yeah, it's um, obviously a bit more straightforward. There's less to consider. Mm. So, um, you know, but things have evolved a lot. And, and even with um, 5.1, well, and 5.1 plus 4, the way it's gone, people have experimented and, and changed and pushed things forward. And it's mm. always nice to see. But we'll work, you know, um, particularly with Sky. Sky will come to us and say, we'd like to try this. Obviously, with the volume of matches that we do for Sky, um, you know, there's ample opportunity to experiment. Yeah. So um, it's slightly different now that there's less of an on-site presence with the remote. But, um, you know, remote was something that was coming anyway. Yeah. So um, we'd already started doing um, the EFL contract remotely mm. um, before COVID happened. So it what, just... was, what was the, like, main challenges getting that off the ground? Just um, understanding the concepts and um, work, seeing how it was going to work. We had an idea of the technology involved and, yeah, we got all the right technology, but it, it's just refining it. Once you've done a few, you then get a sense of, yes, this bit works, this bit doesn't, mm. and, you know, maybe this is how we should do it. And, um, yeah, I, I think now it's a pretty slick operation. Yeah. So, um, you know, and an init initial connectivity um, issues to be fair there weren't that many it, it's been pretty robust and only occasional issues so um yeah it, it, there's been surprisingly few challenges so um you know um it's good it's always a bit kind of um worrying when you're kind of putting faith in other people to yeah. deliver your signals it's nice to be in control of you know and have a a hand off that um you know it's kind of visible and, and easy and, and you know do you miss having something so. to chat with in the uh during the day well, <laughs> sometimes i mean on the bigger games we have two guarantees now but yeah sometimes yeah. but you know, I've, I've done the other end with down at Ostley with the uh for a match thing you're kind of in there all day on your own when you're doing yeah. match um, stuff and yeah it depends if you're doing match only or if you've got prayers as soon as you've got some prayers um certainly on the bigger games then yes there'll be two guarantees yeah. now which is a big step forward because it, it's it's an appreciation you know we're doing now uh, we used to have two supervisors and two guarantees on site yeah. when it was, you know, two, two sound desks. 
and two trucks. So all of a sudden, you know, for a while, there was just one person doing effectively the work of four. So again, we revisited that and you know, realised that actually we need a bit of support for these bigger games just because of the volume of work, you know, with two directors and two sound supervisors to answer mm. to. You know, you can just about manage that with two people. So. Just just going back to the, when you talked about Gemini being designed for having two trucks on site rather than one truck on site, what was the intention when Caspian and Sargasso and the other trucks came on the road where it was sort of standalone trucks to work together? Because obviously the other yeah. truck was two trucks in... Two yeah, trucks, and, and, not... and Gemini, you could, even if you're doing a one-truck match, as, as we call it, you still had to have both trucks yeah. there. So, yeah, the next kind of step was... Yes, um, you can have a big enough VT area in a truck that that it's one truck. So when you're just doing a, a Monday night or a match only, it's all it's just one truck on site, and mm. you don't need the other truck. And that was always the kind of Achilles heel of Gemini mm. was you had to carry both bits around because one couldn't work without the other. Yeah. So yeah, that was the next step on from that with Sargasso and Caspian was yeah, um, you know, if you're just doing you only need one truck there, you're doing yeah. that. But there's enough in the VT area, but that's why you, you mentioned it earlier about the production area being the other way around. The idea being that you can have a full, um, even bigger VT area if you need it to fit in the extra op- operators for the bigger game. Mm. So, um, yeah. I, I'd, I'd gone down, in my head, I'd gone down a route of it being like that so you could park the steps to production <laughs> next to each other. Yeah, it yeah. felt like one of those things where like, so you could come down one set of steps and go back into the, go into the one if you yeah. could run in between the two trucks. Well, yeah, uh, <laughs> we never thought of that, but that, I guess that was an added yeah. bonus. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was about making the VT area bigger. That was the main priority yeah. there. So, um, yeah. Going back to remote um, stuff, after COVID, when it went from having like the... Because the EFL had been, what, was it a season by that point as, as a remote production? I don't even think it was a full season. I think it was half a season. Yeah, because I think I was... Because it started at the beginning of that, so it must have been season. 2019 season. Yeah. Um, and then lockdown was in March. That yes. was when everything stopped. Yeah. So, yeah, we'd done, what, four, six months maybe was the remote was, EFL. Was there, was there much of a change from right, uh, requirements on site and for yourselves well, between the Premier League and that? So I know obviously like, yeah. the level of uh, requirements for the press side of it, but as as a sort of like how, much, how many feeds you're sending down Sky and... Well, I mean, <laughs> there's always that funny thing where... Um, when people are talking about different matches, particularly with regards to football and sport, they'll say, oh, it's just a, a four-camera match, mm. so that's fine. But you still have the same number of pitch mics, yeah, yeah. same number of commentators, all of that. So actually, the sound spec never changes that much. So, yes, there was a bit of a limitation because Juno and Core, which were built primarily, well, specifically to do the EFL remote, um, were built to that level, so they didn't have as many facilities as you might build in if you were building them mm. to do the Premier League. Um so when lockdown happened, all of a sudden it was like, well, we are going to need to upgrade these because they're going to need a bigger capability. So we actually did. So we expanded the DSP and the sound mm. desks. Um, we increased the size, which is one of the benefits of um, some more modern intercoms. It's just a license and yeah. you can add more ports when it's yeah, Dante yeah. based. So we expanded the Odin um, frames in both trucks um, to give you extra capacity, basically, to accommodate. And it's things like accommodating PLP, so the PLP productions requirements, additional four wires, mm. none of which you have with the EFL. So it was accommodating all of that side yeah. of things um, that we had to um, allow for. But because of the way they've been built, it was very quick to expand them. Mm. So um, and we turned it around fairly quickly. The biggest one, I remember getting a phone call from um, George at Sky the day before we went live with our first um, Premier League remote during lockdown in the big restart saying, we just realized that there's only one RP1 in the trucks. And um, you can only connect to um, an RP1 to one sound desk at the other end. Mm. But we've got two sound desks, so um, what can we do about that? Obviously, we couldn't change it quickly, but very quickly we um, got another RP1 for each mm. truck, uh, one for match and one for prayers, yeah. and, you know, quickly resolved that. So, um, but, you know, that was um, the things that you find out all of a sudden. Mm. Um, so, th- And that was one of the big changes going from EFL to Premier League was just upping it and suddenly working into two galleries rather than just one, which was the original intention yeah. on the EFL. So, you know, it increased the complexity a bit. But, you know, if you're smart, it's still just about all fits on one Maddie stream, yeah. which is 64 sources. So, um, But uh, there is the um, capability on the bigger trucks to send a second Maddie. Mm. So um, on a, on occasion we do that, particularly for bigger things if there's multiple positions. Yeah. 
but then you hit when you send more sources to Sky, they then hit the bottleneck at their end of yeah. not having enough failures on their desk to fit everything in. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, there's always going to be a pinch point somewhere down the chain. And so, um, did, have you learned anything from going into remote with Sky that you can take to other contracts and trucks? Um, we've learned about how the technology works, and also um, there's always a big fear about um, sending things over Maddie. Mm. Um, obviously, it's an encapsulated Maddie that we send back to Sky. That the, the headroom may be limited, and, and we get a lot of distortion problems. So we started off sending everything, um, you know, under modding everything to make sure there's enough headroom. Yeah. But actually, we pretty quickly went back because we found that we didn't really suffer with any kind of um, distortion or over modding of the Maddie. So yeah. you know, it, it's worked quite well. Would, so, you, would, you do anything, would you do anything different if you could go back and adapt the trucks or no I, I, I'm pretty pleased that um, you know the model that we put together I mean it's nice um, we converted Aurora to be remote during lockdown because um, it wouldn't probably wouldn't have been used um, certainly not for Sky Football if we hadn't have made it remote and it feels a bit like um, a sledgehammer to crack a nut because it is the full size mm. double expanding Cosby's trailer but um, it's so much easier because you've got so much more capacity. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, but you need to temper that. That was a pre-existing facility. You wouldn't build a truck that big to do remote and you probably wouldn't build an expander. So, you know, it would be a much smaller footprint. But just having enough I.O., I think, mm. is, is the biggest challenge and having erring on the side of having too much rather than just yeah, enough. Definitely, I, yeah. I think that's the key. But these things are always a trade-off between, you know, the financial implications of that. So, um, you know, everything's built to a budget. So, you know, you have to have an eye on that. And do you still think there's a market to develop a big, like big trucks in the old-fashioned way? I, I think certain events will still need big trucks. Um, you know, so that will, will that be a case of just using the stock? You know, what people have, or do you think there's, well, a, there's a case? Well, again, for... I think it would be contract-driven. I don't think anyone in this current climate is just going to build a truck hoping to get the work. Yeah. But um, if you have a contract and you know you've got the work for that truck, then. Because um, our two big IP trucks, um, which were the more re most recent trucks we built, Venus and Ceres, mm. um, they were both built to deliver Wimbledon. Yeah. So um, uh, we knew that we had a certain amount of time on that contract. Mm. So, you know, we could invest in building that. And it was part of the vision. That was when uh, it was a 2110 fly pack and the trucks were made 2110. So they were the first time we built trucks with IP, fully IP routers. Mm. Um, because the technology um, had developed enough and it was stable and it fitted with our concept for Wimbledon of the decentralised router, yeah. you know, which was a way to bring um, a new kind of host broadcast experience for everyone rather than everyone traditionally cabling themselves into the TOC to pick up their feeds. All of a sudden, you had a decentralised router. You could take a node out to every third-party rights holder, mm. just give them their node, connect it on the network, turn on the feeds that they've booked and paid for. And, you know, it's... Um, it, cuts down on um the complexity well obviously it's our back end is more complex yeah. but for other people they're not cabling it makes everything tidier it's quicker to rig you've got massive rights holders of bnc floating exactly around and, and you know you don't have all that kind of extra cabling and and you know for the um for the rights holder or you know the host provider production company um they like it because um, you give a booking sheet and then you only enable the fees that people have booked yeah uh, and there's yeah none of this um you know, well, can I have? Can I have? Can I have a feed of this? Yeah, oh, I've have... got a spare spare way on my BNC loom. Can I have an extra feed could of you, this? Could you pop me these some so, clean um, effects on? Uh, yeah, yeah no. exactly. So um, there's none of that. So you know, and and that was uh, that felt like a big step forward. But yeah. I remember, um, you know, even going back to when we did the Champions League final in 2011, um, we had all done add-ons at all of these events where we felt you know you get all these feeds and you never know what they are. So we set out to do that host broadcast saying, right, every feed is going to have an ident. Mm. So when it doesn't have the correct um, association, you know, when it's not got its actual final source, it will have a spoken ident and a picture ident. Yeah, yeah. So as a third party taker of that feed, you can look and go, oh yeah, I've got That's camera one or I've yeah. got feed B or I've yeah. got this. And we did that. And um, yeah, it, it was it was challenging, but um, you know, we did it. But We'd all been on the back end of, of, of OBs, and you're going, well, have I got the right feed? Yeah. And suddenly, when the match kicks off, you suddenly realise you've got the wrong feed, by which point it's too late. Yeah. So we set out our stall in 2011 to go, right, we're going to deliver, in our eyes, the best host broadcast that we've seen and, mm. and try and set the standard and move things on. And I think things have moved on since then. It's, it's such so. a small touch, that, but yeah. obviously very 
useful for anybody who's sat at the other end of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know, that now that has almost become the norm on, yeah. on, on these kind of large events because you know, it, it, it's the best way to do it. And it makes it easier for everyone because it cuts down on the traffic of people coming and going, oh, I'm not sure I've got the right feed. Mm. Can you check my feed? You know, you know, what does the item say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've got the right feed, you've got the wrong feed. So, like I said, looking at something like Wimbledon, um, how, I mean, obviously it's a yearly contract. I know a lot mm -hmm. of big, big tournament things, but every three, every four years, but obviously Wimbledon's every year. Mm -hmm. How big a challenge is that as a company to, put that all together well it, it's a massive challenge i mean we have so for the host operation we cover 18 courts of tennis in 5-1 so um we build a big carrot network so um so we have a, a carrot core that all the summer consoles that mix the outside courts um they all network into so um you know we can share feeds um you know and again in an effort to try and build resilience we've kind of set it up so that any commentary booth can commentate on any court and yeah. it's all routable so you can reroute the commentary booth from court three to commentate on court 18 and vice versa yeah. if that is the need and then there's off tube booths as well so but we have three weeks build on site and then there's probably at least a month if not longer depending on how many people are involved in it to prep that yeah in our hq before we ship all the kit down to wimbledon mm. so yeah it's a massive undertaking how many so, how many trucks do you have out is it empty the garage pretty much? Uh, well, for Wimbledon, there's only two trucks for the host operations, and the rest of it is fly pack. I mean, that that is the thing. We're talking about trucks, but we do a huge amount of fly pack mm. work as well. So, um, um, any peers a company. So, yeah, and it's a very different discipline, you know, delivering a large fly pack because mm. obviously you're building everything from scratch. Yeah. So, um, so you do the F1 for Sky? With we do the F1 pack, from yeah. Sky. You know, again, that was something that came in on a very tight spec an RFP, they knew exactly what they wanted, how they wanted it to work, and that's yeah. fine. So you, you, um, you that was probably, probably what the they first, asked for. That was probably the first remote that Sky yeah. were doing. Right? Yeah, I mean, um, what they um, requested in that, that was very much the, um, the when we started doing the EFL, that was just an expansion of what they've been doing on the F1. Yeah. Um, you know, so probably a few more four wires knocking about. Um, you know, when we do the remotes now, we have 16... Um, Arv on four wires plus eight on the IPX8 plus another two, so there's 26 four wires yeah. going from site. I mean, when I first started, if we had four four wires yeah. off site, that was a big OB. Yeah, so you know, um, the scale of things and the way the technology is presenting you more options, um, and more flexibility and more capacity, basically. Yeah. So, um, you know, that is the thing, but um, it feels like the F1 was like because obviously it travels around the world, yeah, it's actually was a big one to do for the first. For the first remote production yeah uh, and high profile and, and high pressure because a lot of people um you know traditionally the um sky's kind of um driver was um the football for a long time the premier league that was their priority and, and their focus and suddenly f1 came along and they got involved in it and that became another big driver so you know but you have to get it right yeah um you know people are paying money particularly um, for clients like sky people are paying money for the service so you know you need to get it right 100 percent of the time so yeah. um, um and there's no other way because otherwise they get their customers you know giving them a hard time and nobody wants that so um no it, it yeah i can remember when it when it first started the f1 and I, I, was, I was just thinking it's amazing that you're doing this production from you know anywhere in the world i guess with the f1 into it where yeah you could be and you, you literally you know you fade something up at your end and it's the impacts of someone hearing at the other end is yeah it's, it's, it's amazing. And it said that was the first one Sky did. Yeah. And I assume it was the first one you, you guys were part of as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the first yeah element of remote production. But I, I think the difference the difference with the F1 is the F1 is an add-on rather yeah. than being the host. Yeah. But you, you would take what you've learned from yeah. doing the F1 and oh absolutely that straight yeah there were things we learned and yeah we absolutely um, yeah yeah when yeah we've seen that that worked that didn't you know and um, you know built from that mm. so yeah. Do you have any specific favourite things you've worked on in the in the twenty five years you've been working doing TV? Well, yeah, I mean, I've had um, you know I've been very lucky to have a, a whole host of experience. BBC ceremonial events um, are always good and something completely different to work on. Um, but one of my favourites probably um, we did the host broadcast on the two thousand six World Cup mm. for two locations. So we did all the games from Dortmund and Gelsenkirchen. Uh, you know, and that was when it could still be done in trucks. Yeah. So I think there was only one year subsequently, the year after 2010, it was still done in trucks, but now it's mostly done with, you know, almost yeah. entirely fly pack. So, um, 
and that was good fun so um and just that kind of organized event where you know you're in a hotel and you get told be here for the coach at this time you get on the yeah. coach you turn up but that team spirit because at the time there was quite a few staff on the job um and al hoskins yeah <laughs> and um you know him but we're all again. young yeah all all young and you know um some of us single and just we just had an amazing time yeah you know? and there was that real good team spirit of being involved in that um london olympics as well i did the main stadium at stratford for nbc yeah um just to be part of that whole opening and closing ceremony thing was just amazing and um you know it's one of the most amazing events i've seen in my life mm. we'd had rehearsals but no one had seen um certainly none of us had seen the whole thing the right yeah. way all the way through we'd only seen elements of it so when we saw the whole thing it was just incredible on that night and mm. it was just jaw-dropping yeah so, um, and to be a part of that and i felt as well um london during the olympics was like a totally different city everyone was much happier brighter mm. i mean the weather was good that helped but yeah, there was a whole different atmosphere in the city. It was amazing. I think the whole, I think a great thing to be a part of. I do. I think the whole country at the time was like very positive about it because I remember we were at a wedding uh, on the was it Super Saturday they called it or Super mm. Sun, Super Saturday? Yeah, um, Jessica the, Ennis. Yeah, Mo Farah. There was there was Mo four, there was four yeah. medals were the Paul Gold medals in one evening, weren't yeah. there? Um, and we were at a wedding and the. Um, Everybody sort of drifted away from the wedding to watch yeah. the Olympics, which was, you know, it's a very, you know, if it, I can, it seems strange to say, but you can imagine it with a football match if it was like the World Cup final and people would yeah. drift away to, I'll oh, go keep me on the football. But you know, as an event the Olympics, it always seems like, I think when it was in this country, it really emphasised the yeah. sticking together kind of thing with it. No, absolutely. But it was funny actually. So uh, you know, I mentioned the World Cup in Germany in two thousand six. So I did the Italy v Germany semi final at Dortmund. Mm. Uh, where Italy beat Germany and the day after it was just like what World Cup <laughs> <laughs> like the, the whole atmosphere again in, in Germany the whole in the country there was this really positive atmosphere yeah. and, you know it's really kind of party festival atmosphere and then the day after that it was like nah, nah there's no World Cup here what are you talking about <laughs> so that that was quite funny to see but yeah like I say I mean these some of these big organised sports events um, you know like your Olympics your World Cup Euros mm. they're just such amazing events to be a part yeah. of so um, it's great, and we're very lucky to do uh, and go to some of these places. So you say the, the organisation side of it as well, where you, you are. It, it's one of the. I think one of the stressful things when you work in TV is I've got to get up at six in the morning. I've got to do a two-hour drive. I've got. To, yeah. But it does feel quite nice when you can get up and it's like I've got to get on the bus in, in yeah. fifteen minutes, and I can you know get my yeah. breakfast leisurely and yeah, and I'll get fed at this time. Yeah. And, you know, and then we'll all be on the bus at the end of the day, and we don't have to think about it. And yeah. yeah it works so much better. So, yeah, it, it's very enjoyable. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad I got to be a part of that yeah. while it was still a thing. I, there's loads of other jobs. You know, I did, when Blur reformed, I did their gig in Hyde Park. And, you know, was that the recent? Re uh, uh, no, that was the, the, the previous That was about reunion. 2008, I think, right. around the time my son was born. Yeah. So, you know, and to be at some of those events as well is special. You know, I've worked at Glastonbury as well. I've mm. done the May stage at Glastonbury. So... Yeah, just a whole variety of events. And, you know, sometimes we're very lucky to get yeah. to go to these places just as part of our job. I think every so. time, I, I, I say this all the time, but I think even as a, as a sound supervisor, especially working in football, who enjoys football, it's you, you feel quite lucky. I know there's obviously a lot of sound supervisors who work in football that don't like football. And, yeah. you know, it, but there, it, there, there's, there's two arguments to that, isn't there? It's like if you like football too much, you'll get too wrapped up in the football and not oh, be focusing on... I've, I've definitely but, done that. Or, you know, or, or is it actually, no, you want them um, to be, you know, passionate about football because they'll care about making it better yeah. from a, a I think fan's I, I, I'm point of view. I'm definitely there. So. I, I definitely think, I, when I when I sit and mix, I, d I definitely think to myself, what would I want it to sound like at home? Not, this is how it should sound, or this is, yeah. you know, this, this is the correct way of doing it. It, it, it. From a fan's perspective, you sort of think to yourself, mm, is this the right way of doing it? Do I want to, you know, the, the crowd's going mad they're all chanting, do I want to hear that more than I want to hear mm. a ball kick or, do you know what I mean? It's but, you know, uh, one thing, you know, and it is a creative thing to a degree. And I remember fairly early on in my career um, when I was still assisting, um, you know, there was a sound supervisor I worked with. I, I, I won't name him. I wouldn't have um, had much, um, held much sway to the rest of the things he said. But one thing he said was, when you do a mic placement, just walk around the room, you know, when they're rehearsing, listen, see what it sounds like and mm. just walk around and, and hear where it sounds good and that's where you need to put the mic and I yeah. thought, well, 
you know, I'd never yeah, thought of it like that. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's... some of those simple bits of advice, you know, some of the rest of his advice I thought was a bit <laughs> interesting, shall we say. But that one was good. And and going back to my point earlier, everyone, ha you know, there's a bit of good advice in everyone. I think so, I think one of the things we, we do suffer from working in TV is this is how it's been done for... 20 I years. I hate that phrase. We do it like this because we've always done it like yeah. that. Yeah, and it, it, it makes you feel yeah. like, well, you know, we, we, we use commentary boxes that work off one cable now. Yeah. Why can't we use a bit of software? Why can't we, yeah. do, you know, it, and there's all these things to make help you make things sound better, make things easier to, for your job, but... Yeah, you, you shouldn't know, be afraid of anything. No, no. You know, um, you know, try it. If it doesn't work, then do it differently next time. Yeah. But um, that's the thing. It, it's, yeah... You would have, like you say, using, um, you know, servers and things to process audio now. People would have never entertained that, yeah. you know, even 10 years ago. So, um, but computing technology has become so cheap and powerful. Why would you not if, if it's going to make things better? Yeah. So, um, you know, and it is interesting to hear some of the technologies that come along on some of these large events, things like the World Cup, where, you know, kind of cutting edge technology and, you know, some of it is, yes, absolutely going to make mm. things sound better. How much testing do you go through with? putting a new truck on the road well we'll we'll always try and do a job with it that is less critical so um but i you know i can tell the tale of pacific i don't think it'll upset too many people um so pacific was the first truck we built post-fire um and post-fire we dry hired some trucks from um televideo and um when pacific was ready uh, we scheduled it and what we said was we'll do a parallel match so it's just there doing match coverage, but it's not going anywhere. Mm. Just to make sure it can, because you can, you can, in acceptance, you can test everything, make sure that everything works, but you don't get a true sense until mm. you put it under a full load, like the full kind of red lights yeah, if you yeah. want, that everything's going to work. So we said, all right, so we'll park it alongside the, um, the truck at Liverpool and it'll just do parallel coverage and we'll just make sure, flash it out before it goes and does a match on its own. So, uh, and it was in Rosam. We sat in the, uh, in the other, in the main match truck, and about 45 minutes to kick off, he keyed and said, I've got this very strange error message on the desk. I said, oh, that's interesting. He's like, well, I've got no audio. I'm like, well, you have to reset it. Um, what else can you do? So when he reset it, it came back completely blank. <laughs> this is 45 minutes to kick off, Premier League game at Liverpool. Thankfully, because it was the first, there was two guarantee engineers in Pacific, uh, myself and Jimmy Parkin, and Sam Broadfoot, who was an audio guarantee at the time, was in video trucks went right we can try and get this working or we've got another truck here let's just use this truck and because of the way that truck was built it was built by sis that televideo truck everything was on maddie mm. um all connectivity um and pacific was the same we actually worked out pretty quickly that if we swapped the maddie so we had a separate vt truck at that time so we swapped the maddie into the vt truck send that from pacific we know the patching we'll patch that so we literally divvied it up. You patch that, you patch that, you patch that. And we got things up and working. And um, I remember during the match, there was a phone call from IMG to the production manager at the time. And, and they said, oh, we'd like to question the sound quality. And he just turned around to them and said, if you knew what happened before this match, <laughs> you'd just be grateful you had any sound yeah, at all. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I was, remember that. Yeah. Obviously, with my background, I heard about that very quickly. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, indeed. And, you know, and then we worked out what the problem was afterwards. And I, actually, I think we'd got it up and running, but it was just, it was a, a, a failover. It didn't happen properly. Yeah. And when it failed over to the redundant card, the redundant card just didn't have the latest update. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that was it. But, you know, these things happen. Yeah. So um, it's how you get around yeah. it. That's that plus what makes you yes. good. And... Exactly. And that's always the thing. It's not about um, problems. Things go wrong on OBs. We all know that. But it's how you deal with those things when they do go wrong. Mm. That's what makes you a good engineer. Do you have a worst day in TV? I've probably had a few, but some of them were more early on. So I remember doing an add-on. So I did an add-on to a boxing. Um, you know, I was only a few months into my career. Um, and it was, you know, I had two faders, clean and dirty. Mm. Uh, and when on the dirty, they start talking about coming up on Sky, you fade that out and just leave the, the clean effects mm. and then bring it back in in time for the fight. So, you know, I did that. And then two weeks later, they went, oh, there's another one of those. Do you want to do it? And I went, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That was all right last time. And when I turned up this time, it turned out it wasn't the same. I was feeding Five Live and someone else and someone else. <laughs> um, you know, and I was still relatively new at this point. And... Um, so that was that. So I, I thought I got it all cracked and then we're playing out this VT 
and in the audio world the bell rings but in the picture world they um carry on fighting at which point the director um obviously realizes that something's gone wrong mm. um, basically i hadn't also recorded the fight so it, they'd recorded whatever was being going on at the time and they'd also anyway so that was what had happened so um yeah it all kind of kicked off and i remember um you know it was the old rigid truck uh, he was in production at the front so you hear him kind of start to explode and then the door slams and then counting down to then my door is <laughs> open and he's there stood there shouting in my face and you know that was uh, you know and yeah. you think should i be doing this job can i do it but you know in the cold light of day you think about it go yeah i know what i did wrong yeah i'll never make that mistake again yeah. so uh and, and it's that kind of thing so you know you learn from your mistakes and try not to make them again yeah my worst so. bit involves a polish cage fighter up in my face <sighs> so. yeah that's not that for a different day so, yes yeah yeah maybe maybe <laughs> you know I, I was lucky in that the time i joined and the type of company i joined i very quickly went into guaranteeing and i didn't do mm. a huge amount of assisting so um because me and Cable, if anyone's tried to see me coil a cable, <laughs> um, I've had someone take it out of my hand before. Go, no, 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 I'll do this. Do you, so. do you do much mixing? Have you done much, like? I've mix- done mixing in the past on and off. It depends on requirements. Yeah, I mixed when we did the um, we did the tsunami benefit concert at mm. the Millennium Stadium, and I mixed that um, the press for um, Channel Five. That was, yeah. and yeah, there was a time when I thought, yeah, I want to mix. I really want to mix, and actually, Champions League final 2010 in Madrid, which was the one before we did the host mm. broadcast. Um, I mixed that for an American channel, but that was probably one of my worst days. Yeah, I imagine when it been an American channel, it was bigger than it was meant to be when you first found out about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, you know, a whole host of things with a director that had never directed soccer before. <laughs> and, um, you know, and just all of that, it was a car crash waiting to happen. Yeah. You know? And then we did this, we had this moment where, um, you know, they were doing prayers on the gantry in the Bernabeu all wearing headsets, so, you know, with however many fans there are yeah. in there. Um, and then we um, cross-faded to a VT that was a one plus one in a hotel room in Paris with Michel Platini. And they're like, fade it up. I'm like, it is up, but we've just gone from that to that. It's just One's a bit quieter yeah. than the other. So, um, you know, what do you want me to do? So, and it's all kinds of things like that. And, you know, you sometimes you get that feeling on jobs, that kind of job where you're just like, I'm just never going to win here. So yeah. I can't wait for the end to come quick enough. So, um, you know, but you learn. But, yeah, it's um, there's a greater need. Um, there's a lot of mixers, a lot of freelance mixers like yourself um, who are very good at it. And we have, as a company, we have a greater need for guarantees than we mm. do for mixers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I ended up kind of specialising in guaranteeing and, yeah. and, and in that top-end stuff because that is a skill in itself. Yeah. So, definitely. yes, yeah, yeah. I, I can mix, but it, it's not my forte. And I decided that I didn't want to because... Um, sometimes on a long show, I would find it hard to pay attention. <laughs> so you know that, what? that is one thing yeah. with people who will only guarantee do say that I can't concentrate for yeah that length of time to, to yeah. mix for mix that length of time yeah. Which I my my thing with guarantee was I couldn't put everything in the right place to, to you know there's a, a problem in in the yeah with something I, I problems. I, I can't problem solve pretty quickly, but mm-hmm. when it became like technical stuff, I, I'm yeah. not the, I'm not diving in and repair a bit of kit kind of yeah. problem yeah. solving. So I, that's why. And, I, and it's not for everyone. And we've had people come. We've had staff um, come and go. Some people, it's not for them. Um, not everyone likes the pressure of it, you know, because it is a high pressure mm-hmm. environment. So um, you know, and you have to think quickly, and you have to think quickly with a clear head. I think and also with guaranteeing, you are, you're listening to more things at once as well. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas, yeah. like you know, as a supervisor you're listening to what the director's telling you and what the show's telling yeah. you and maybe like your sound crew shouting in whereas you know as, as, a, as a guarantee you are head needs to pop up as soon as somebody says oh yeah. I can't hear yeah. yeah straight up listening yeah who can't hear who you know yeah. what when you know yeah. but then you get the classic yeah Tom can't hear Steve yeah, yeah. who's Tom who's Steve where well, are they <laughs> my, my Polish cage fighting thing was yeah. part of the, one of the big problems was I'd been given a list of Polish names for mm talkback system yeah but then when somebody was saying i can't speak to marek yeah or it wasn't the name on the sheet they give me like the, the nicknames right yeah yeah so i was like i've got this picture here of the, these people who's who's there's nobody with yeah, that yeah. name on here yeah yeah um yeah so that, that was that was like the first the other on the ladder of stuff that went wrong on that job but yeah no it is the thing and that is a skill 
and it, it's one thing you know I, i've had people in the truck who have been learning to guarantee and you know you'll be having a conversation like we're chatting now and you have to go um director's calling you what yeah, uh, yeah direct, you know yeah. You, you need to be able to listen to that almost subconsciously and, yeah. and that is a skill in itself and that takes time to develop so, it makes it a nightmare sat in a restaurant sometimes though where you can hear oh, somebody talking behind yeah, you too many people talking yeah, like, yeah. yeah. do you know what over there yeah. yeah they're having a fallout because the, the, yeah. she, she didn't like the veg yeah yeah um, exactly and she wants to come to this restaurant again yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway how was your day <laughs> um, so final couple of bits then mm -hmm. um, over your years on the road yeah. what's your favourite service station Oh, my favourite service station always used to be Stafford Northbound. Yeah, yeah. I I've stayed, went to Fleet for the first time today. Cause mm -hmm. I don't come down this far very often. As I yeah. said, I've had to make make a special visit so you'll talk to me. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, that was quite a nice service as Fleet. Well, it burnt down a couple of years ago, right. so it's been rebuilt. Ah. It's a bit too close to home. Yeah, I, you would I try not to stop yeah. there. But um, yeah, and now of course I don't go much further north than Birmingham these days. Mm. So I haven't been to Stafford for a long time, yeah. but it was that thing. And the best thing about it was, as you pull off, you're slowing down, and there's that long, sweeping curve, and you could just lift your foot off and gently coast in and, you know, go yeah. around the bend, past the duck pond, because there's a duck yeah. pond, um, and, and pull in. And it had everything um, at the time, you know, um, when we were going that far, it had M&S, it had Costa, it had everything you wanted. So, um, you know, uh, it was a great place to stop on the way to it. It was just about the right time for your bladder yeah. when you're going north as well. <laughs> <laughs> the right place to stop, you know. So, um, yeah. an M&S service station visit is quite an expensive one these days. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, a lot of things, that's another thing that changed a lot in lockdown. But yeah, now actually, we've finally, it was one of my missions for a long time. You know, none of us cross each other on the motorway. Yeah. We have, um, we have um, crew that live up north who do the northern stuff and we do the southern yeah. stuff and it works better for everyone. Yeah. So, um, you know, let's be sensible about it. And, so, uh, and do you have any non sound related? kit that you can't live without on the road a coffee machine it has to be coffee machine yeah <laughs> so um everyone you carry you, you carry a mocha pot don't you yeah it, it's a, an alessi um uh, electrica it's called but yeah it, it's an electric mocha pot yeah basically so and it has its own little flight case and it's the most important thing on the job yeah. so everyone thinks when i turn up with this flight case that i've got this nice little thing of tools and then yeah. i open it everyone's like what it's a coffee machine yeah it's, it's, it's the same with my pelly case with my uh, coffee kit and it's absolutely uh, people think people think it's more than it is <laughs> yeah but that and, but the other one if i can get it if i can take it on the job i love to take my bike and ride yeah so um you know sometimes if you've got a late call you can go out for a ride in the morning if you're somewhere with decent countryside i had some i remember doing uh, huddersfield it was actually and mm. i stayed in halifax and went out over the moors and, and things like that and I, I love cycling that is one of my passions so um yeah if i can if you like hills then around there's um... oh, oh this is the hills. <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah and yeah no that that's another thing that i'll do if i can um you know and cycling to work obviously it's pretty tricky to cycle most of the places we go because yeah. i can't cycle up to london but if i can cycle when i get there it's great mm. so yeah that's another thing that i like to try and do yeah. so and then anything in the future plans to look forward to apart from tomorrow morning easily versus somebody yeah i'm particularly looking forward to being on a nice cold damp truck at seven in the morning but, yeah, <laughs> it's the glamour of television yeah. no um well just whatever challenges you know there's the big olympics in, in paris next year yeah you're you going over there events. i i'm not personally no. but we're sending a good number of trucks out there for various clients we've got mm. multiple clients so um yeah there's um always big events coming up and, and new challenges so um you know i look forward to them um, you know, and as, as things come out, uh, as contracts, you know, and requirements change, dealing with the challenges of those. Mm. So, um, you know, we often have conversations that, you know, they don't always come off, but we're tendering for things, pitching for things. You know, how could we deliver this? You know, what's the best way to do that? And, and coming up with solutions for things mm. for, for clients, you know, that, that that's the enjoyable bit is the engineering bit. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we all do it for is yeah. to deliver a solution to someone that either someone hasn't thought of or it, you know, it, it's a more efficient way of doing it. And, you know, like the Wimbledon being the prime yeah. example, you know, it's coming up with solutions like that and delivering them. You know, that's that's the that's the way you get real job satisfaction. Yeah. Well, that and, and my other satisfaction is from, um, you know, bringing um, our crew through. Yeah. So, you know. Um, we have a department of around 20 now and, and seeing them develop and, you know, become more uh, accomplished engineers, you know, that is quite satisfying mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, trying to steer them and help them and give them advice, you know, yeah. it, that's enjoyable as well. 
and that's the other part of the job that I enjoy. Yeah. You know, you asked about what my responsibilities are. I kind of glossed over that kind of man management yeah. thing, but that's something that I really enjoy. Yeah, it's, it's so good to have that. It's side working of it as with well, a team it? and yeah. trying to build a team. You know, we're constantly, you know, people leave and go on to different things and bringing in new people and trying to get them to fit in and, you know, all of that. I enjoy yeah. that as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for chatting with me. It's been, uh, you're welcome. I think it's been about, about three, four years since we actually worked together, I think. In, in person, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure we've spoken down a full while. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, it's one thing that has changed. So, um, but, you know, it's nice to catch up with people. Yeah. You know, it's a small industry and, you know, the older I get, the smaller it gets. I've not so. seen Gareth for a while. I think I'll see him in two weeks. Ah, there um, you are. He's have a word him about his beard. Yes, wow. <laughs> he's a, another person that joined us and, and he's gone from strength yeah, to strength as an engineer. Yeah, so, he's really conscientious. Um, and oh, There's so many good people that have come through our, our company. Yeah, so, it is, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's good. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Right. Still beats working for a living, as I always like to say. So massive thanks to Nev there for chatting with me. It was nice to catch up with him actually because I'd not um, not seen him for a couple of years. Uh, spoke to him on a floor wire obviously because that seems to be the way things happen these days. But uh, yeah, great to catch up with him and we may have had a couple of beers while we were recording it so that was nice. Um, should, I, should I have said that? It doesn't matter, does it? doesn't matter. I mean, it feels better if you're doing it in person rather, rather than on a Zoom call to have a few beers. You don't want to do it sat in, your, in a back room with a few beers. Cup of teas. Cup of teas, the Zoom call one. Beers in person maybe. Possibly. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but yeah, we, we recorded that down in Eastleigh um, whilst both were working down there and in the most lime green hotel room I've ever been in. Uh, and I've not been in many lime green hotel rooms, but yeah, that was a very lime green hotel room. <laughs> so yeah, mo moving on. Uh, on the next episode, I have Mick Dwyer, who used to work at Dolby. Um, he's chatting all things Dolby with me and uh, how things transition from mono to stereo to 5.1 and how they were involved with it. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And just finally, um, on a side note, for charity this month, I'm in February 2024, because if you listen to this in the quite a few years down the line or whatever, it's, it's done. So don't worry about this bit. But yeah, I am doing a charity uh, challenge for uh, the charity shelter. If anybody wants to chip any money in, I've got to do 100 press-ups a day every day of the month um, to do 2,900 press-ups by the end of February. Um, so all the links and whatnot are on the social media stuff. So if anybody wants to put any money in, please feel free. If you don't, then um, I hope you feel good about yourselves. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> yeah, so uh, thank you very much for tuning in and we will uh, see you in a couple of weeks.